Hello everyone, and welcome to the very first installment of Murder Mayhem, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, H, and today we'll be covering the case of Gerard John Schaefer, aka the Hangman Killer. Now, just to get us all primed and prepped to hear about this case, let's listen to a quote from Gerard himself. Here goes. I am no doubt the most skillful killer. I killed women in all ways. One I whipped to death with a strap, another I beat to jelly with a baseball bat while she was hanging by her wrists. One whore drowned in her own vomit while watching me disembowel her girlfriend. I've skinned women, and I've enjoyed each and every experience. So, as you can see, this is going to be a pretty graphic case, so if that's not something you're into, we'll see you next time. Let's start off by discussing Gerard's early life. So, Gerard was born on March 25, 1946, in Wisconsin to Doris and Gerard John Schaefer Sr., He was raised in a very religious, very Catholic family, and his parents instilled instilled in him from a very early age this sort of Madonna-whore dichotomy, which you may have heard of, essentially teaching him that all women were either Madonnas, aka these beautiful, pure creatures that he should love, or whores who he should treat with utter disrespect and hatred. And he was taught this from a very early age, so not off to a great start. He moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida in 1960, and this is where he started to exhibit some perverted behavior in school. Um, One girl reported that he would do just about anything to look up a girl's skirt, standing on his head even. And there was one girl in particular who he exhibited this behavior towards, and it was his neighbor, Lee Hainline. Um, She comes up later, so remember her. But he would essentially watch her getting undressed through her window and then claim that she was teasing him by getting undressed in her own room on her own property. Nice going, Gerard. He also exhibited odd behavior overall. There was an incident where he went with some friends out on a rowboat and when they were in the middle of the body of water, I think it was a lake, he threw the oars out of the boat and they had to drift back to land without the oars. He also exhibited some interesting sexual behavior towards cows. He once killed a cow and then masturbated over its dead body. So he's already exhibiting from this very early age some of the clear signs of serial killers, um, torturing animals, perverted sexual behavior. Um, He also had this intense desire to hurt women. He expressed this to one of his first girlfriends and one of his teachers, Um, so he was also big into control because by telling them this, he was essentially saying, you know, I've, I really do want to hurt women. Um, hopefully you won't be next essentially. Um, and I bet you'll never guess what he majored in education. Yes. This man wanted to become a teacher. Big shocker. He married Martha Fogg in 1968 and they bonded over creative writing. Um, but they had a very short marriage, um, It ended over tension regarding Schaefer's love of bondage. He essentially told Martha Fogg that she had to comply with his fantasies or get out of the marriage, and she decided to get out. Around this time, he also left a suicide note and quote-unquote attempted suicide, but this was later proven to be false and just an attention grab. He was reviewed by a psychiatrist, um, and it really was just another way of getting attention and trying to have emotional control over people. In 1969, he started work at Plantation High School in Florida, don't know how anyone hired him, um, with a fellowship teaching social studies. 
And in the same year, his parents got divorced and his dad went to rehab. Um, Most people, uh, this small stressor in their life wouldn't turn them into a serial killer. But as you may have guessed, Gerard is not most people. Now moving on to some of his early victims. So Carmen Halleck disappeared under mysterious circumstances connected to him. I think she was connected to him at one of the schools he was either teaching at or taking classes at. And around the same time Carmen Hallett goes missing, Lee Hainline goes missing. And on top of that, they were seen together before their disappearances. Now, something that's very important to know here is that Carmen Hallett had dark hair and Lee Hainline had light hair, and they went disappearing as a duo. And this pattern of a light hair, dark hair female duo going missing is something that's going to come up a lot in this case. Now, around this time, Schaefer is let go from his teaching job. Um, He was fired for insubordination, um, and when questioned about it, he stated that he didn't intend to teach, only intended to share his opinions, which, you know, at a teaching job isn't exactly going to fly. Now, Richard Goodhart, who fired him from his second teaching job, yes, he got a second one, um, when he fired Gerard, pledged to do everything in his power to stop Gerard from winding up in a position of power. Um, Just to show you, like how messed up this guy was that his supervisor literally said he would keep tabs on him after firing him just to make sure he would never wind up in a position of power again. Um, Around this time, Gerard also started to develop um, a big interest on the death penalty and specifically hanging. Um, He was particularly interested in Um, the phenomenon where the body urinates or defecates on itself while hanging, and this is something that is going to come up later, so just keep that in mind. He also tried to become a priest, I know, um, but luckily he was turned away. Um, He was turned away for obvious reasons, this was not a man of faith at all, but he says he was turned away because the church didn't allow him to question the dogma of it all, and he was a seeker, you guys. (laughs) He also decided that he wanted to become a cop, and after failing psych evaluation after psych evaluation, he was finally accepted to a tiny little department, the Wilton Manors Police Department, in 1971. I'm not sure if they just didn't hear about all the psych evaluations he failed or if they just didn't care, because like I said, they were a very small department. But in that same year, he married his second wife, Teresa, and she doesn't come up a lot throughout the case, but just keep in mind that throughout all of this, he is married. Um, While he was working for this police department, he started to get in trouble for um, writing up female traffic violators for tickets and whatnot, and then later looking them up in the system and calling them and asking them out on dates. Um, eventually this did get him fired and he went to work for the Martin County Sheriff's Department, which is where he really commits, um, his first confirmed crimes. Um, and this all begins on July 21st, 1972. So buckle up. Um, on this day, 17-year-old Pamela, aka Sue Wells, and 18-year-old Nancy Trotter were hitchhiking together along a highway, um, Surprisingly enough, they actually didn't know each other when they started their hitchhiking journey. I mean, this was the 70s, so everyone was hitchhiking. But they had met along their travels and decided to stick together. Um, Today, they had spent the day at the beach and were trying to hitchhike back to their hotel when a 26-year-old sheriff's deputy offered to drive them home. And this deputy was, of course, Gerard Schaefer. He was described as being very charismatic, which is disgusting when you hear what he does. Um... 
and he was he was really appealing to the girls youths talking about how he used to hitchhike all the time when he was younger um and you know the girls were excited about that and just to have a police escort home so overall they were all getting along great um and Gerard asked them what they were planning on doing the next day and they told him they were going to go back to the beach and he said that he didn't want them um hitchhiking in that area because it was illegal which was a lie it was not illegal to hitchhike in that area so he told them that they could meet him the next day at 9 30 a.m and he would drive them back to the beach in his light blue green Datsun that's his car remember that for later there was also a weird detail where he informed the station that he was taking the girls to their hotel like this is something police do apparently if they're driving someone home is they'll inform the station that they're driving them home So overall, I'm sure the girls felt very safe. You know, he's a cop. He told his station he was giving them a ride. So you really can't blame them for um, trusting him at this point. The next day, um, when he picks them up, this is on July 22nd, he, um, he asks if before they go to the beach, he can take them to an old Spanish fort by the river. He says he's, you know, super interested in history and he just wants them to take a look. And, you know, he's the one driving, so they agree. But he ends up driving them into a forest slash swampy area and to an abandoned shed. And the girls are like, this is not a fort, Gerard. This is a shed. Um, And they ask just to head to the beach. And this is when Gerard exhibits a total shift in attitude. You know, he's being all friendly, telling them about his love of history. And then he has a total shift. And there's no friendliness there anymore. He's super cold. And he turns back towards them and he says, you two are runaways. And the girls look at each other confused because they're not runaways. He says, I'm going to teach you the dangers of being a runaway and of hitchhiking and he handcuffs them in the back of his car and he tells them do you know what I can do to you I can sell you into slavery I can bury you out here and no one would find you there's no crime without a body then he ties them up and gags them and he threatens them by saying if one of them runs away he'll kill the other one and remember how I said that these girls didn't know each other before they started their hitchhiking journey Imagine how stressful it must have been to not fully trust the person who's literally holding your life in their hands. Then he makes Nancy, he makes Nancy get out of the car and he walks away with her for a bit. um, And he makes her stand up on a tree root, you know, of those big banyan trees with the huge roots, makes her stand up there and has her balance. And then he ties her neck with a noose. So essentially, if she falls off, if she loses her balance and falls off the route, she'll hang herself. Then he mentions, then he mentions how if she, oh, sorry, lost my place there. And he tells her, I could rape you right now if I wanted to. Fortunately, he doesn't. But again, this is just another exhibit of him wanting to use power and control over these women. But after molesting her, he walks away. So Nancy's standing there, balancing up on this big tree root, trying not to lose her balance with a noose around her neck so that she doesn't hang herself. She's still bound. She's still gagged. Um, But luckily, she knows what to do right away. She starts chewing. She takes the gag out of her mouth somehow, and she starts chewing through her own noose. Takes her about 15 minutes, and she unties herself. And once she's able to get off the root, and 
able be able to run away she even takes the ropes with her and throws them out so that if Gerard is cap does capture her again maybe he won't have any ropes to tie her up with and I just want you guys to take note of how incredible this is that in this intense moment of panic she has the forethought to do something like that so hands still tied she was able to get all her other ropes off but not the ropes around her hands hands still tied she wades through literal crocodile infested waters she wades through this river she's trying to get to the road and as she's wading through the river she hears sue's voice calling out for help and she contemplates going back to help her but she's worried that this might be a trick by gerard to get her back so she keeps going Now, unfortunately, this was not a trick by Gerard. Sue had also managed to escape and really was calling out for help. But later, of course, Sue understood why Nancy had to keep going. Now, Sue is actually the first one to get to to the road, and she gets the attention of a truck driver who helps her her call um, the police. Now, the thing is, when Sue called the police, they weren't surprised that this had happened. They weren't surprised that there were two girls claiming they had been kidnapped by a police deputy um, because they already knew. You see, earlier in that day, Gerard had called him, his senior at the department, Sheriff's Deputy Robert Lewis Crowder, and he called him and said, I've done something foolish. You're going to be mad at me. And explained to Crowder how he had kidnapped two girls to teach them the dangers of hitchhiking for their own safety. This is how delusional this guy is that he thinks he's like teaching them a lesson. And how cocky he is that he thinks he can literally report himself and still get away with it. Which, spoiler alert, he kind of does. Now, Nancy ends up hiding in a bush with snakes and spiders for a few hours before, with her hands still bound, swimming through the river, getting stung by jellyfish, and curling up on the side of the road waiting for someone to help her. And eventually, Crowder does find her, and the girls are rushed to the hospital, and for now, they're safe. Now, of course, Gerard is fired and arrested for assault, but he's let out on bail for his trial, AKA he would be walking free for the next six months after kidnapping and torturing two women. (sighs) White man in the 70s. I mean, what do you expect? So now he's out on bail for the next six months up until his trial. What could go wrong? Well, his next two victims are Susan and Georgia. 17-year-old Susan Place went to the high school Gerard used to teach at. Now, she had epilepsy, and in the 70s, people didn't really understand what epilepsy was all about, so she ended up getting horrendously bullied, and she left high school and went to an adult education center where she met the charming 26-year-old Jerry Shepard. If that name sounds familiar, it's because it is. It's Gerard Schaefer. She also met Georgia Jessup at this same place, and Georgia Jessup claimed she she was very spiritual, and she claimed she had a spiritual connection with Shepard. Again, this was another blonde-brunette duo. Susan Place was blonde, Georgia Jessup was brunette. And here we start to see a pattern emerge of Jerry, or Gerard, I'll be referring to him as both, um, always picking vulnerable and emotionally unstable girls. These girls did not have good home lives, they did not have a good relationship with their families, and they were both um, very emotionally vulnerable, and Gerard took advantage of that. Um, He asked them to run away to Mexico with him, which I know seems kind of wild now, and it was wild then, but it was also 
as I said, the 70s, and these sort of adventures and leaving home were a lot more common. So on September 27th, 1972, two months before Gerard's trial, they leave. Now, Georgia left a note for her family, but Susan actually told her mother, Lucille Place, her plans. And her mother was obviously not a fan of her daughter leaving to Mexico, but she agreed to let Susan hang out with Jerry at the beach that day, or at least she thought they would only be hanging out the beach. So that day on September 27th, Jerry came by with Georgia to pick up Susan so that they could go, quote unquote, to the beach. Now, he picked her up in his light blue green Datsun. You may remember that car. And as she and as Lucille Place watched them drive away, that was the last time she would see her daughter alive, although she didn't know it yet. Luckily, though, call it mother's intuition or a gut feeling, she had the forethought to write down the license plate number of um, that light blue green Datsun. Now, days and weeks passed, and that's when Lucille noticed that Susan left her epilepsy medication at home, which told her that Susan had not been planning on leaving for such a long time. And this is when she started to get worried. She contacted Shirley Jessup, Georgia's mother, and when she realized that Georgia still hadn't come home together, they contacted the Oakland Park Police Department, and they reported the license plate. But, as cops do often, they screwed up. And when Lucille told them the license plate number, they copied it down wrong. And so that tip, which could have perhaps prevented the, the future crimes that Gerard would commit, was rendered useless because they copied it down wrong, like didn't bother to double check that they had the right number, which is typical. But luckily throughout this case, the parents end up investigating together and they get a lot more done than the police do. So now we're moving on to Gerard's first trial. So Nancy and Sue, despite not living um, in that city, stayed in the city where they had been kidnapped um, so that they could testify in the trial, which is just amazing of them. Um, but the judge for this case is like really infuriating. So Martin County Circuit Court Judge D.C. Smith told Gerard during the trial I don't want to embarrass you, but I think we can all concur that you were a thoughtless fool. Yeah, a thoughtless fool for kidnapping and torturing two women. Um, Gerard also stated that no one got hurt just because they had both both girls had made it out alive. Like, not giving any sort of acknowledgement to their emotional trauma and physical trauma because they did get hurt. But overall, the case was handled super poorly, and Gerard was able to accept a plea deal for only one charge of assault, which would only give him one year in jail with the possibility of parole after six months and three years probation. So he could be out in six months for, once again, I know I've said it a lot of times, kidnapping and torturing two women. Now, this was in December, and he wasn't set to start his sentence until January 15th of the next year. So he would still be out for another month or so to commit whatever crimes he had in mind. And unfortunately, he did have a crime in mind, and his next two victims were Colette and Barbara. Now, Colette and Barbara went missing just days before Gerard's sentence began. Um, Colette Marie Goodenough and Barbara Ann Wilcox, both 19, again, one blonde and one brunette, went missing from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Now, 
you may not know this, but I think it's pretty common sense. You're not supposed to leave the state when you're about to start a prison sentence. Um, and when questioned about this later, Gerard had admitted that he did leave the state um, and that he had been he, and that he had gone to somewhere like South Dakota. Although I'm not sure how you don't know exactly which state you're in, but again, he said he had been somewhere like South Dakota. But telephone records later showed that he was making calls from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which did place him at the site of the disappearance. Now, Coet was a poetry lover. You may have remembered earlier that Gerard was a literature fan, so I'm sure they bonded over that. And she also suffered from emotional issues, which follows Gerard's pattern in victimology. Gerard charmed the girls and said that they should come with him to Florida, um, that he had a house there, that they could all hang out. It would be wonderful. Um, but unfortunately, when the girls left with him in his light blue green Datsun from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, they were never seen alive again. Now, January 17th, 1973, this is where things start to get interesting. In an empty lot in Florida on this day, January 17th, 1973, construction workers discovered the dead body of a young girl in her teens with her head completely severed from her body. She had supposedly been there one to three months and was found with a pair of maroon hip-hugger pants. Now, of course, the police were called, and as they were investigating, they found a second body. And so, of course, this was all over the news, but no one was coming forward. Until Anthony Briscolina um, was watching the news at home when his heart dropped. His 14-year-old daughter Mary had run away from home a few months earlier with those exact same maroon hip-hugger pants. Immediately, Anthony Briscolina sent Marie, Mary's dental records to the medical examiner, and it was a match to the first body. Unfortunately, his daughter Mary was dead. And because of this, they knew who the second body was, because it was the girl that Mary had run away with. It was 13-year-old Elise Farmer. Now, Elise had a really tough life, which I'm sure is what Gerard took advantage of. Her parents had abandoned her when she was 10, just told her she couldn't live at home anymore, and so she lived with her half-sister Linda Walker and Linda's husband Robert. When Elise went missing, she left a note, and when she didn't come home, the couple searched, Linda and her husband, I mean, searched for her and immediately filed a police report. But nothing came of it. They knew who the bodies were, but they were no closer to finding out who had killed them. It seemed as though the hangman killer would never be caught until Susan's mother, Lucille Place, cracked the case. That's it for part one, but join us in the next episode for part two of Gerard John Schaefer, The Hangman Killer.